We have Jeremiah Short, and uh, we thank you for coming and filling our pulpit today. And we, uh, most of them don't know you. Parker and I have met you before, but uh, we're thrilled that you have chosen the path that you have. I'll let you tell us how that came about or however you want to do that, but uh, we're, we appreciate you coming. Thank you. Thank you all for allowing me to be here today. It is truly an honor to be among God's people. Um, for those who do not know me, my name is Jeremiah Short. As um, our elder has already introduced, these are my parents and my little brother. Um, God has called me from a small family into a big, <laughs> a big job. And so I, I thank him for that. And so in trying to fulfill that big job, I would like you to turn in your Bibles or in your bulletin to our scripture reading today. We'll be reading Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Hear the word of the Lord. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and, and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I'm really excited to preach from this particular passage this morning. It's one of my favorite events in the life of Christ. And it brings back lyrics from the beautiful song, Amazing Grace. The lyrics go like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You know, recently I've been looking at Facebook videos that present people who have been blind their entire lives but then they received a type of eye surgery or received some type of special glasses that allow them to see for the very first time. One video that really touched my heart was a video about a man who was blind his entire life, and yet he received these special glasses and he immediately started crying because he was finally able to see his daughter and his wife for the very first time. It's kind of hard to imagine what blindness is like, isn't it? Especially for people like us. To be blind all, all your life and then finally be able to see your hand in front of your own face. 
Not many people have that kind of opportunity, especially with that kind of disability. Some don't have the money, some don't have the aid, and then some just don't have the time. But there really is something interesting about blindness to me. It, it's, it's, it's really a, an amazing phenomenon. Someone rather rudely asked Helen Keller, who was both blind and deaf, this question. She asked, isn't it terrible to be blind? How rude to ask to that kind of person. But Helen Keller said this in response, and I want you to pay attention to this. She says, better to be blind and see with the heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Let me read that again. It's better to be blind and see with the heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. That is powerful, is it not? That seems to be the point of the passage that we have read this morning. Mark, our author, seems to be telling us what it means to see with the heart, to see with the true eyes of faith instead of just our regular senses. In this passage, I want you to notice three great things about the faith of blind Bartimaeus here. I want you to see that faith sees. Second, I want you to see how faith seeks. And then third, I want you to see how faith sticks or stays. But before we dive in, let's pray together. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for this tremendous opportunity to speak into the lives of God's people. And Lord, I know that it is not me, but it is you. Therefore, I ask that you speak through me. Let them not hear me, but hear you. Let them hear what you have to say to know what true faith is. And we will be careful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Now first, let's see how faith sees. Look again at verse 46, and let's read verse 46 and 47. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. One must first not immediately disregard the mention of Jesus passing through Jericho. But why is that? It's because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to the cross. Mark in chapter 10 has been building up Christ as the suffering servant, as we see in Isaiah 53, where he will give his life for sinners like you and for sinners like me. And so on the way there, Mark fo focuses on one blind man called Bartimaeus. Mark notes that this man is blind, but as we will see, he actually sees more clearly than even Christ's disciples themselves. When Jesus and the crowd passes by in verse 47, this blind beggar is filled with hope, is he not? Of course, Jesus was the common name in those days. It's, it's basically another rendering of the, of, the, of the name Joshua. But when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth who was passing by, this man just couldn't sit still. 
Being blind usually makes your senses stronger, especially your sense of hearing. And so when Jesus heard, I mean, so when this man heard that Jesus was, was passing by, he had obviously heard about this man's healing power. How? Of course, we're not sure. But his testimony surely reveals that he knows a lot about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Look at how he addresses Jesus at the end of verse 47. Jesus, son of David. In the Greek, it's actually, the words are actually reversed. He says, son of David, Jesus, help me. This title is incredibly important because he sees more about Jesus than many of the crowds acknowledge him to be. The phrase son of David only appears twice in Mark's gospel. One referenced by Jesus himself and the other referenced here by a blind man who has never even physically seen the scriptures. And yet he knows more than the crowds. This poor, disabled outsider grabs what no one else in Mark's gospel has realized, that Jesus is the son of David. He is the heir to David's throne. He is the king of all, of all eternity. He is the one who will sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow down and worship him. And he is also the anointed one who has come to give his life on behalf of sinners. We also see something else in his request that is very interesting. He says, have mercy on me. It's, it's weird because he, he sees his sight as a show of mercy from God. He sees this as something that only Christ can do. And this is a very huge difference from what Jesus' own disciples have asked him for. Let us listen to the passage immediately before this one. This is found in verses 35 and 32, verse 37 in Mark 10. I'll read it before you. And James and John, sons of Zebedee, came up to them and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what would you have me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Do you not see the vast contrast here between Bartimaeus and, and Jesus' own disciples? These are his followers, the ones that Jesus has been with for over three years. They have heard this man preach about humility, about mercy, about grace. And yet when Jesus comes and asks them, what would you like me to do for you? They start looking for personal glory. This makes absolutely no sense. And yet with Bartimaeus, this man only asks for mercy and to receive his sight. This man does not want glory. Instead, he wants to put everything he has within the Messiah. And this realization should be both encouraging and challenging to us, right? You see, it's encouraging because it tells us that outsiders, those not in the end group, can get it. One does not have to be in the end group to be saved. 
It doesn't take years of Bible study, even though that is very helpful. It doesn't take somebody having to go through four years of seminary classes, even though I am the one following that path as well. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to get everything in relation to Christianity before you can come to God for mercy. All that is required of you is faith and faith alone. True faith is not being academically or theologically smart. It's not having it all together. True faith is falling on your knees and trusting in Christ and him alone for mercy. Amen? It is also a very challenging thought. I I want you to think about this. Because one can be born in the church community. They can learn all of the hymns by heart. They can pray as beautiful as the stars. And yet they can still miss it. You see, the disciples were with Jesus for three years. And yet they still didn't get it. You see, it's possible for one to be close to Jesus and his word and still miss him. This is found entirely in the book of Hebrews, where the book of Hebrews describes someone who has tasted of the heavenly gift, who has seen the wonders of the things to come. They are in the church. They hear the word preached. They partake of the sacraments. And if they don't have true faith, they will fall away. So we see that somebody can be in the church and yet still miss it. So what about you? My friends, are you seeking Christ because you think he'll make you better at life? Are you seeking him because you think that being in his group will bring you riches? Or are you placing your trust in him because you know that you are a sinner and that you are in need of grace and mercy and you realize that he is the only one who can give it? What is your answer to Christ's question? What would you like me to do for you? We have seen that faith sees, and now we will soon see that faith seeks. Let's look at Bartimaeus' cry for mercy, and let's see how the crowd reacts. Look at verse 48. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Oh, but what did blind Bartimaeus do? He cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, in the face of everything that he was going through, and in spite of how the world viewed him, Bartimaeus realized who Jesus was. He was his way out of his situation, and Bartimaeus would not let this man go without being healed. Even though the world viewed him as nothing, an outcast, Bartimaeus would be determined to get his blessing, and he would be determined to seek out his deliverance. He had that that desperate, that I'm willing to give everything kind of faith. The faith that says, I can't live like this anymore. And no matter what happens, no matter what people say, no matter what people do, I am going to Christ And so I believe some of us have had that kind of experience in our lives, haven't we? You know, I always cry when I hear my best friend and who is now my girlfriend, Marshana's testimony. She was raised in the church, but her life and multiple circumstances drew her away from the church community. 
the church that she was spiritually raised in had abused her. Some of her family had emotionally abused her. And so the world counted her as nothing and caused her even to contemplate taking her own life. But thank God, one friend took her to church one Sunday. She doesn't remember the whole sermon or who preached that day. But what she does remember is hearing about John, the beloved disciple, leaning on Jesus' chest. When you, and he, she remembered the pastor saying that when you are that close to the one true God, you don't have to scream, you don't have to yell, you don't have, even have to speak loudly. You just have to whisper, and God will hear you. And that struck a chord in her. Her eyes began to be opened, and she said in her mind to God, I can't do this anymore. The only way that I am going to get out of this alive is that if I surrender to you. And then she prayed. In tears, she prayed, God, I can't fix this. If there's anything you can do with me, do it. And by the end of that week, she ended a bad relationship. She joined a church and now is happily serving the one who saved her. She has that kind of faith, that desperate kind of faith that puts themselves wholly into God's hands, no matter what happens and no matter what the world says. That is the faith of blind Bartimaeus. And so do you know that, and I, I want you to realize, that you know that the person who has this kind of faith will not be turned away by God? My friends, if you have this kind of faith, God will listen to you. God will hear you. Scripture says in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, that whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so let's look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now stop right there because this is, this is really powerful to me. In this passage, I believe these are the most important life-changing words. And Jesus stopped. He heard this man's cry. He heard the plea for mercy amidst the entire crowd, amidst him going on his mission to Jerusalem. He stops and listens to an outcast cry. And so if he hears the cries of a blind beggar, what in the world makes you think he won't hear you? Oh, sinner, please do not think you are too little for God to save you. The arm of the Lord is not short that he cannot save. And so I ask you, repent and cry out for mercy. And I promise you, he will deliver you. And so, brothers and sisters, what about the rest of us? What about the new Christian who is being attacked by unbelievers? Or the inexperienced Christian who is struggling with the dilemma of being a Christian in an unchristian business or in a country that hates God? What about a Christian who is struggling within this own political climate? 
who sees the stuff going on in the news is as worried as whether, whether or not God is sovereign over this country. It is the exact same thing for you. I ask you to persevere in your faith and cry out to the son of David, for in him you will always find mercy. And so we come to the last point of our passage. We see that faith sees, we see that faith seeks, and now we see that faith sticks. This leads us to our final point. Let's finish with verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus tells the man that his faith has made him well. The Greek language actually puts it in even stronger terms. Jesus literally says, your faith has saved you. The term actually really has a, a, a double meaning. Not only has Bartimaeus's sight been restored, but he has been saved from his true enemies, sin, hell, and the devil. His soul has been made well. This is exactly what Jesus came to do, as he told us earlier in verse 45. Re listen to what he says here. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to rescue hell-bound sinners like you and me. And when we trust wholly in him, we receive the salvation of our very souls. And so what really strikes me is verse 52. Here Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. And what does Bartimaeus do? He followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. <laughs> you see, that I find awesome. You know, go your way, Bartimaeus. You've been set free. Okay, where are we going? <laughs> Your way is my way. My life revolves co completely around you. Wherever you go, I go. You are the center of my life now. And so I don't know why, and it, it always seems funny to me, but it kind of reminds me of the way that baby ducks act. I mean, just, just get a picture of this. Baby ducks have just hatched. Nothing's really stopping them from going anywhere they want to go, but they just follow their mama. Every step she takes, they take. They're always in a straight line behind her, no matter where they go, whether it's into danger or whether into safety, they just go right with her. And is that not the life of the Christian? Walking lockstep with Jesus? I believe it is. And so, my friends, everything we want to do should be the way that Jesus wants it. Real faith leads to discipleship. Your faith should cause you to think about what you do and how it is applied to your walk with Christ. Answer these questions to yourself. Am I walking the way Jesus would have walked? Is my speech edifying to those who hear it? Or am I just gossiping? Is the way that I love my spouse the exact same way that Christ loved the church and submitted it 
and submitted himself to the will of the Father? Am I honoring my parents or my boss or my fellow coworkers the way that Christ wants me to? My friends, our walk with Christ must be centered on him and him alone because it is he who saved us and not we ourselves. And so in conclusion, we have seen that true faith sees, we have seen that true faith seeks, and we have seen that true faith sticks. But there is one more question that needs to be asked. Where does faith come from? Does it come from ourselves? Do we pick up our faith by our own bootstraps and present it to God? Surely not, brothers and sisters. Our faith comes from God alone. He is the reason that we have true faith. Jesus definitely said, your faith has saved you. It is truly Bartimaeus' faith, and he is the one who expresses that faith. But that faith did not come from him. It was granted to him by pure grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we have been saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. The word it in that verse is directly referencing faith. Because everybody knows that salvation is by God. We can't obtain it on our own. And, and grace, is, of course, is a gift of God. We can't work ourselves um, to salvation or, or we can't earn grace. But the key notion is that faith itself, the mere empty hand of faith that grabs hold upon Christ and does not let go, that is a gift from God and not of our works. Philippians 1.29 says that it has been granted to us not only to believe, but to suffer for his namesake. My friends, your faith was given to you by God's sovereign grace. And so I ask you, do you? have this faith? Do you have the faith of simple blind Bartimaeus? And if you don't, do you want this faith? If you do, I just have one request for you. Ask for it. Ask for it. Jesus says in Luke 11 that if you being evil will give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? My friends, I ask you, will you take up the beggar's cry? Will you cry out to God and say, Son of David, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. I can't do this anymore. I am a sinner. I am in need of grace. I need you. And if you do that, when you cry out to God, I promise you by the authority of the word of God alone that salvation will be at your door. Your faith, if it is true faith, will save you. Let us pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for showing us what true faith is. It is that desperate kind of faith that puts everything out on the table and that shows that you are the one who is able to save us and not we ourselves. Father, we, we pray that we will take this truth and implant it deep into our hearts. As the psalmist says, thy word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against thee. 
Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit will have this, this truth flourish within our lives so that because we have true faith, we are able to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are able to love our, our, our spouses the way that you want us to. We are able to act in a way that is pleasing to you. We are able to imitate you as we are conformed into the image of your beloved son. Father, we thank you. And we are careful to give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. In the name of your righteous and holy son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.